All right, and now time for our interview of the day. It's Big T Thurl Bailey joining us here on the Tony Parks Podcast. How are you, T? I'm good, Tony. I'm good as can be expected, man. I just, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are that are struggling, so my, my, my hearts and thoughts are with them as mm-hmm. we hopefully get back to some kind of a, a normal sense of thing. What have the two, men, uh, two months uh, that have gone by been like for you? Well, you know, I, I think like everyone else, it's just been trying to adhere to whatever we need to do personally to, uh, you know, to to not make things worse, like, you know, gatherings and things like that, staying at home like they asked us to. And if we go out, make sure we're, we're protected. So just really doing that. And uh, I think the really nice part about it is that I've, gotten to spend a lot of time with my family like I know many others have and that could be good and bad and then what who you are whether it's your kid or you I enjoy it because it's not often when your kids get grown you could have them all in one place even my daughter that has her own place she kind of moved in with us so it's been really good in that sense um you know I don't I can't even count them on my fingers and toes how many board games and card games we've gone through Mm-hmm. but uh, you know i'm I'm becoming an expert so it's been good you know it's been good in some senses but uh, i think most of us would would uh agree with each other to say we're ready to to get back to one our jobs you know basketball sports is something i think we all miss but when you're working in this industry it's just i mean you know as well as i do um it's it, there's a void there uh, who is uh, leading the standings of the board and card games in the Bailey household? If there was, oh, a, mom is. Mom is okay. Oh yeah. Well, we we knew that going into it. <laughs> is she right. really competitive with that stuff too? Does she? Uh... Oh yeah, she's competitive <laughs> with everything, and and for some reason always finds a way to win. You know, I, I I'm not saying cheating. I'm just saying she's really good at it uh-huh. uh, for the most part. So, um. You know, and and me, I want to make sure that you know that she's happy. So if she wins <laughs> that night. <laughs> she wins that night. I'm cool. I'm cool with it. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, to keep the wife happy, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not above throwing not, a game. No way. That's right. That's right. That's the only time I will throw one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man well i tell you what i really love thrill talk uh, the podcast that you've had as of late uh kind of tell our listeners here you know what they can hear on that podcast what they can look forward to and, and what that's been like for you well i always preface it with this whoever asked me the question i'd say well, if i sat down with you which i'm doing right now tony if i sat down with you and i i believe you could take me on this journey of your life i you could take me back to where you were born and and take me on a roller coaster ride and, and that's what the podcast is about it's about stories not a specific genre i mean we have a lot of sports figures because that's what i've known most of my life but it's not all about that um you know we have people who have gone through things that a lot of people can really uh, empathize with uh, or or their life parallels with the toughness the difficulties of the journey and so forth the victories you know, my national championship, my cutting down the nets is probably similar to someone else's, you know, getting a great position at their job or something like that, celebrating those things. So 
Uh, we've had some great guests on. Dick Vitale was on a couple of weeks ago. Cliff Levingston, who played with Michael Jordan, those first two championships in Chicago. Frank Layden, Mark Eden. Uh, we had uh, Ranger Brody on, who is um, a law enforcement for the the Forest Service in Utah, and he was shot nine times and lived to talk about it. So some great, great stories. Um, we continue to to just get on and talk and have a conversation like you and I are having, and I think people can learn a lot from them. Oh, I agree with that. What, what has been the most fascinating thing you've learned from someone or about someone during all of this? Well, I think what I really, I learned something every time I talk to people. Um, and I try to, I, 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 you know, I'm working on a book right now, Tony, about that 83 championship that we won at NC state. And there's been many books written by other people. Uh, Jim Balbano wrote a couple before he passed away, but there's never been one written that tells the story and the journey of the guys individually who came together and did something incredible that year. So I, I think there's always lessons in those. Um, you know, in talking to guys like uh, Dick Vitale, you know, I, I, I asked him to kind of take me back to, to, uh, to where he grew up and how he got into coaching. We started in baseball. He was coaching a junior high school baseball team and had not played, was not a basketball player. And just, through the fact that he was always enthusiastic, you know it. You listen to his voice, call a mm-hmm. game. He's all—that's him. That's not a—that's not something fake. He's always that way because he enjoys life. He enjoys people, and that part of him really um, projected him into things that he never thought that he would. I mean, an NBA coach for a while in Chicago. Uh, Chicago. Uh, I'm sorry, in Detroit, I believe, and and then. Um, you know, from high school basketball to college to pro, and now one of the greatest announcers of all time in, in the Hall of Fame. So uh, I learned something about people that that helps me throughout our day, throughout my day. And so uh, Jim Fredette was on a couple of weeks ago, and, and Tony Finau had him on as a guest. So I think we can just pick those we can pick each other's brains and say, you know what, next time I get in this situation, this is how I'm going to handle it. Cause I learned that from, from Tony Park's journey. <laughs> yeah. You learned anything from me. I'll tell you. No, I'm right. serious. Really? Yeah. I, really? You've been, come on, man. You know, you know, you've been through some things, some sure. difficult times that, that maybe other people haven't gone through yet. I mean, your kids, um, family members. I think yeah. all of us have that, have that ability to do that with our journeys. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that through all the very kind words and, and means so very much to hear that from you. Um, you have been so incredibly great with getting out coaching and teaching and, and training athletes. Uh, tell everybody about kind of what you're doing in the new location there in Lehigh. Well, I think I, I was, I was born to do this. I mean, I have so much basketball knowledge and I played for a long time and, and I've, I had so many great people help develop me along the way. Um, and I, I got cut twice in junior high school and that coach told me not to come back my last year. He left, got a new job and a new coach came in. So I tried out for the team and I wasn't very good. You know, that, that particular year, ninth grade, I was about six, eight, six, nine. 
just could not play. And if I wasn't the worst guy at trials, I was next to him. So, but I made the team, made the team. Coach called me into his office and basically told me, Tony, that he saw a lot of potential in me. He wanted to work with me. So that right there um, pretty much instilled in me that people have a different lens when they look at you. All right. Some will decide that you don't have a chance and some will say, man, I think you've got something, something that I, I want to help bring out in you. And so that inspired me, I think, along the way to, to teach and help as, as much as I could with with kids who wanted to learn how to play, mm-hmm. you know, basketball, basketball being the vehicle. So I started a big T Bailey basketball training about four years ago, a partnership with Lifetime Fitness in South Jordan. And, um, when COVID-19 hit, obviously a lot of that changed and we're slowly getting back into it. But a lot of these kids are, are wanting to get back into the gym, you know, whether they're eight years old or whether they're the one to make their high school teams. Um, I just opened another location, just partnered with the Carmelone Center in Lehigh, Utah. Great facility out there where we're starting to get kids, uh, back in the gym, some one-on-one individual training. Um, and it's been really good. It's been really good to see these kids have the hunger to get back into the gym, uh, get get back to their training because their coaches really can't do anything with them right now with school being out and there being no sports. So, um, you know, we've, we're taking all the precautions we need to based on what's going on in, in, in our state um, relative to COVID-19. So, mm-hmm. I'm there. I'm training. I've got some other coaches. Uh, Brian Ware is one of my coaches. Played collegiate basketball, and and so we we're getting these kids in now to to train. They can they can go on BigTBaileyBasketball dot com and see what we offer. And and um, yeah, we're 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 back at it, my man. Whenever I think of you, no one has ever been more accessible to take their time for kids, for charities, for anyone in the arena. Uh, you've always been so good to people, genuinely caring about them. Um, and when people ask me, what's Thurl really like? This is what I tell them. Um, so where do you think that comes from as you kind of think back to your journey? Wh- where does that spring from? Well, I think the only reason that's even an issue is because most people probably don't expect people who have had some success in their lives and are deemed celebrities, so to speak. I mean, I've never really liked that word associated with me. Um, but the only reason that question is even relevant is because of, of people's perceptions. I mean, we're all supposed to be that way. You're that way. What's the difference? Well, the only difference is people may put me on a a higher pedestal because of my fame, because of my success. But it shouldn't be. We all should be that way. Um, and so that's how I was raised, man. I mean, my mom, my mom didn't play, right? I mean, even when we got older and had some success and we we messed up, she would stand right in our faces and look up at us with her fist at our chin and say, don't you ever forget where you came from. <laughs> Well, mom's right. the exact so, same way. Oh man, yeah, that's right. So, you know, it was it was ingrained in us, and um, and you know, you saw growing up, you just saw a lot of 
that village, right? That village that raised you, taking care of you. And I think you, you hopefully never lose that regardless of what you go through in your life, regardless of how much money you make, regardless of how much fame you have. Um, there's, there's always time. You should always take that time. And, and maybe it's inconvenient sometimes, but um, what I do, Tony, is I look at what it means to, it's not about me. What, what would it mean to this person, right? What would it mean to this little kid to spend three seconds with him signing a piece of paper that can barely fit my name on it? And so, uh, and I also look at the other way. You know, what, what effect would it have on this kid if I shunned him away, if I sent him away? And so um, I, I think when you try to walk in someone else's shoes for a second, even uh, it, it's not about you. It's about what you can give and what you can offer. And the bottom line is, can you serve somebody in, in, in the time that you're here mm-hmm. and, and do good deeds? What was your first wow moment that the interactions with people was different for you? Oh, it was doing the NCAA championship run as a young college student. Cause you know, when you, when you're playing college basketball as a college athlete, student athlete, it's, you don't really have any knowledge of the effect that you're having. You're having fun. You're young. Uh, you've got the alumni and the students there, but we were making that championship run, man. And we, it, we, we, we were getting letters from people from across the country that were jumping on board for different reasons. I mean, one lady, her husband was in the hospital. He was in a coma, Tony. He was in a coma. And he loved basketball. She wasn't much into it. But she would go visit him, and she would hang in the room and hope that he could hear her and talk to him every day. And the TV was on, and she'd turn on a basketball game for him because she knew that's what he loved. And so she followed our games, our journey through that the whole championship and she became a fan, but she wrote us a letter basically saying, congratulations. I was, I wasn't a basketball fan until I watched you guys. She told us a story about her husband and she said, we gave her hope. Wow. We gave her hope and belief that her husband could, could survive and come out of the coma. And it was just so powerful for us as young kids. And I, I, I knew then that our platform, from then on was going to be our, our individual platforms. We, we needed to use that, use those moments mm-hmm. for people. And, and so that, that was probably my first, uh, and there were some crazy ones where, you know, you're a young kid and some fan, a female fan that, you know, wants you to sign body parts and it's like <laughs> you know this is something that this is for rock stars it's, you know so it was an eye opener <laughs> and and I think we, we had to get security as a team after some of those incidents but you know both sides of the, the coin it's you know you, you have to be able to accept it for what it is and, and hopefully control it to the fact the point that it doesn't affect you personally when you won the title in 83, did you know at that moment, you know what, people are going to talk about this championship team more and differently than any championship team? I didn't know it then. I didn't know it then. I think as time went on, I realized it. I realized what a, what a feat it was. 
I realized what we had accomplished was something that had never been accomplished in that way for a long time. And the more you watched, as more seasons went on, I mean, Villanova did something great the year after, but the story, our story, and not just the, the basketball part of it. I mean, the individuals, Lorenzo Charles dunking the ball in, Coach Balvano going through a difficult time after that with, you know, bad recruits and, and then the cancer story. So I think the complete package is something for the ages. Uh, the documentary w- was done in a, in a very classy way that told the story of almost a complete journey. But um, I didn't really realize it until I was done. And I was a few years into college and years, a few years would go by and there'd be the, you know, the fifth, the 10th anniversary and things like that. And I think as, as time passes, it even becomes even more important because it's pretty ageless, Tony. I mean, it really is oh, yeah. in that way. They'll never stop talking about that because of how unique it was. You lived it. What was your favorite non-basketball story from that run? Uh, non-basketball story probably were things that happened away from the court with the team that could have torn us apart. Um, there was a few incidences along the way where, you know, like a guy like Lorenzo Charles being young and underclassman, a pizza guy came to deliver pizza. It wasn't his pizza, but he took it from him anyway and ate it. And that was, you know, it was something that the other teams tried to take advantage of. We'd go to Duke and they, every kid would have a Domino's pizza box in their hand. And when they call Lorenzo's name to go out, for the introduction, they throw all the pizza boxes onto the court. And so there were little things like that, little stories like that, that, uh, you know, that, that could have changed the course of, of certain things, right? Uh, because every character had its, its role, its purpose. Um, but, you know, it's not unlike any other college story, college life. But, um yeah, I just think the camaraderie we had off the court, especially with Coach V, was was the amazing thing. Nobody had that. Nobody knew that but us, right? He had a different persona with the press and with the media. But with us as a family, um, that was just as important, just as an important part as the practices and all that, is that we were, we were tight-knit. And when things went wrong, you know, we, we fixed it, right? We, we nipped it in the bud and the upperclassmen had respect from the the underclassmen. And and so things came together at the right time. Yep. And went on to win the title. One of the more special stories in all of sports history. Um, People have asked me about my playing days and I say, no, there's not much about it. I go, the toughest player I ever faced was Thurl Bailey though. Let me tell you, it was a charity game and it was a fun game, but people have been asking me to tell the story of having to guard you and, and then you swatting my shot. What do you remember about that game that night? Well, I feel bad, Tony. I really feel <laughs> bad because like you said, it was a charity game and it wasn't just about charity for fundraising. I should have shown you a little bit of charity that <laughs> night, but I, something got something got to me. I don't know if you were trash talking or I heard something or I had a flashback. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
you know, it was kind of an automatic instinct when you, you, you tried to come into the paint. I think I tried to warn you to shoot the jumper, but you, you came in, you came in, you challenged me. And, um, uh, I don't know which role it went into, but, uh, I, I smacked it pretty hard, my man. And, you know, for that, I'm not sorry. I, I, the first thing I remember about that game was uh, we're on defense and you set a screen and I hear the switch switch and I'm like switch what are you serious <laughs> and so uh, all of a sudden I'm just trying to get out from behind you right and I remember you like with your hand like behind you palming my chest pretty much and I just hear you say I got a mouse I got a mouse and then at the corner of my eye, I saw you catch the ball with your other hand, and then I just got out of the way because you dunked. And and I tell people, man, Thurl at 50 or whatever. Was 60? You were 50 at the time. Well, yeah, you were 50, and I think you scored 50. Um, you, I'm like, that dude had serious game. Like, you could still – I could still feel, like, the, the quickness and see that different – uh, I don't know, like that light was on as you were playing, and this was just a mess around game. But when you had that burst of speed or the quick hands or just those things that, that click in the back of your mind, it was incredible. Well, you know, it, it, whenever you're on the court like that, especially at my state and my age, um, it wasn't necessarily about what was going on then. It's the preparation. So, you you know, you got to put all this, uh, what's the stuff we used to put on? Not the Ben Gay, but the the, the icy, icy hot. Something on. Icy, icy hot. hot. <laughs> yeah. And then that's what Shaq and then told afterwards. You. Yeah. See the pain. The pain comes when you're done. So you on the court, you're in the you're in the mix of it. You don't really feel anything, but it's after it's all the icing. But um, you know, the, when you when you played as long as I have, and and you've had as much fun as I had, those kind of things are really a, a lot of fun and, and you just try to go out and have fun. I know you had fun that night, but oh, it's a good time. You know, a couple of those, and, and I have to believe that you set me up for some of those. I mean, you wanted to make me look good, Tony. And, <laughs> and so, <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just remember grabbing a long rebound and, and the levels that I had ever played at, you know, high school. And then at that time in my life, just church ball. Right. So, if there was ever a long rebound and I had a full head of steam, oh, I would usually beat anybody down the floor to the rim, all of that. And I remember grabbing yeah. that rebound and I can feel that wind, you know, going by me as I get it. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take off. I'm gone. And then I look up to my left and here you come on a 45. And I, I thought, oh, I, I bet I could probably beat him. And then the closer I got, I realized you're not going to beat him. You are so not going to beat him. And then the last <laughs> moments of it, feeling you just, like close in on me was absolutely terrifying. I, there's a photo of you and I somewhere with me looking up as I'm rising to go for the layup and you just ready. I mean, <laughs> like you can see in the yeah. photo, there's no chance I'm going to make that. So you swat yeah, it. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <clears throat> no, I was going to say, I had it blown up as a fathead. It's right here in my office. <laughs> <laughs> You can, you can visibly see the fear in my face as I'm like, not only am I not going to make this basket, I don't know if I'm going to live after this experience. <laughs> so the, the funniest part about it is you swat the shot. It goes in like the 10th row. 
And I think it, I can't remember if it was for the junior jazz kids or there was a bunch of kids there that night. And we're lining up now to inbound the ball from the baseline. And I hear this kid tell his mom, mom, that guy sucks. (laughs) (laughs) But the crowd got a rise out of it. It was a great time. And, and, and yeah, people have said, you have to find me the video of this. You have to find me the photo of it. And uh, I, I am still trying to track that down uh, to this day, but somebody's got it. <laughs> and then we can, yeah. And then I'll have a fat head of it in, in my office, you know? So, <laughs> but I do remind people I did uh, make a catch and shoot three on that inbound. So I came out of that plus one. Just, I remember that. For what I remember that. Yeah. Catch shoot so. three. <laughs> uh, did, did you, uh, okay. One of my favorite stories of yours is your recruiting story. Um, because a lot of different schools had interest in you. And I always forget what yeah. school it was and all the details, but didn't you, you ended up getting a friend by accident. You didn't sell this or anything, but you ended up through, uh, um, another school trying to recruit you, got a friend, a college scholarship, didn't you? I did, man. I did. Well, you know, college coaches were looking for an edge anyway. I mean, it's, it was really a different, in, in a way, in a sense, a different recruiting recruiting methods back back then. Um, and I had my schools narrowed down to four. It was uh, NC State, uh, Georgetown, University of Maryland, and Davidson College. And Davidson, because um, the assistant coach for NC State at that time was a guy named Eddie Biedenbach, great player for NC State, a legend got a head coaching job at Davidson. And so um, my best friend in high school uh, was a girl named Yvette Mingo. I mean, we hung out pretty much everywhere. We were in student government together. We won a dance marathon together. So everybody thought, most people thought that, you know, she was my girlfriend. and But she wasn't. But uh, Davidson in their recruiting uh, somehow thought that she was my my girlfriend, and she had gotten uh, she applied to different schools, and she had got she's very smart, and so um, they thought that she was my girlfriend. So uh, they were communicating with her as well, and I think she applied at Davidson or something. She ended up getting a scholarship. Nice to David at Davidson, which um, basically w- was to say, you know, if she goes there, then I may consider it because, um, you know, we're pretty tight. She, she's my girl, so I may follow. I ended up not going to Davidson. Uh, I narrowed it down to NC State and Davidson, but I chose NC State. And um, the, the coach who was recruiting me was just devastated. Um, and I remember us all sitting in a the room. There was some crying going on in the room. Wow. And, uh, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, it was it was interesting because I I mean and, and we were, we stayed friends of course. Coach Biedenbach is is one of my very best friends and just a great guy. But uh, yeah, it was crazy because I, I felt bad because after I realized that hey she's going oh, and we and and Davidson's not too far from Charlotte, so I even got to see my friend every once in a while <laughs> uh, who was going to Davidson. So it all worked out. All worked out. <laughs> Well, that's, I'm glad. Yeah. So you, uh, you were worth two scholarships, uh, you know, and that's right. You committed there. You committed there. That's awesome. 
<laughs> that's fancy. You always talk about doing stuff for other people, you know, and, and right. while they were erroneous in their uh, assessment of the situation, you weren't going to get in the way. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Exactly right. I love it. Did you watch The Last Dance? And what did you think? Watched every second of it. And, and it wasn't because there was nothing else on. It was because that's my era, man. I mean, that, starting in college, you know, Michael Jordan came to NC State for a visit. It was me and Sidney Lowe and Derek Wittenberg that, that took him around. So we got to see him, you know, as a high coming out of high school and trying to decide where to go to school. And so that history with me as an opponent of his, it, it runs deep. And it it's kind of been like watching him grow as well uh, to the next level. But I liked it because a lot of it was from his perspective and whether you liked it, whether you believed it, it it came from him. And for me, I mean, MJ has no reason to lie. He just tells the truth, whether it hurts or not. Um, but it was good to see the perspectives from his teammates because obviously not all of them liked him all the time. Um, but it shows what kind of leader he was, the kind of drive that he had. And he wasn't about, to to fail um so it, it, i thought it was well done I thought it was well done and um you know some of the footage and some of the things especially towards the end there in the ninth and tenth episodes where the jazz were pretty prevalent in there it brought back a lot of memories for me and a lot of people the 97 and 98 jazz get remembered most Mm-hmm. But you were a part of a 99 team that I just don't think gets remembered as much as they should because for most of that lockout shortened year, it seemed like you guys were the only contender for a while. You guys hit the ground running. You seemed to have everything clicking the way it needed to. What do you recall from the experience of that team in such a unique shortened year? Well, I think that's why most people don't talk about it as much or remember it as much is because it was a shortened year. Um, and the, the, when they think about the best years of the jazz, obviously it was those championship runs. Um, but any Jerry Sloan coach team is going to be ready for whatever. And I think as, you know, we knew that we were going to have a truncated season um, the preparation began early, right? And and guys were eager to play. Uh, and, and, and you know, in that era too, guys just didn't want to miss games, right? There mm-hmm. was no there was no sitting out of games or whatever they call it today. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was a special year. It was special for me because I was able to, you know, after being traded by the Jazz in 91 and, going on my journey to Minnesota and overseas, I was able to come back that particular year, make the team and be a part of, you know, that special family again and play with Carl and John and get a chance to play with Horny and a few other guys, Brian Russell, Ulster tag. Um, so it was really special for me to be able to feel that again and come, come home in a sense. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun to, to, to come back and play those remaining games and um, and then, you know, make a short playoff run as well. But uh, you're right. I mean, people don't talk about that as much. I think one of the reasons why is because 
because of the stain of the the shortened part of it. The other part that I think gets forgotten is you guys were, I think, tied for the best record uh, yeah. in the NBA, but the Spurs were starting to surge, and you guys at the very end of the regular season, uh, you guys had like an 11-game win streak, and then I think you kind of, I think, went like 6-5 and five or 5-5 five and five the rest of the way, but could you sense during those last two weeks and going into the playoffs that the team was either wearing down or that just things weren't quite the way they were earlier? Well, I wasn't sure we were wearing down as much as, you know, other teams were playing better. You know, San Antonio was, was in their groove. Um, but that's that's how San Antonio always played. And I think both teams were kind of similar in that, in that, in that, on that front. But, um, no, I thought we still had, we still had juice. We still had, you know, the strength of what had always been there with the Stockton Malone pick and roll and, and having guys play their roles. I mean, even me coming off the bench and spelling Carl for a few minutes and trying to be effective out there. But, um, but yeah, every team goes through it. It's just a matter of when during the season it, it's going to happen. I mean, unless you're like, one of those great Chicago teams, you're going to go on this roller coaster ride, um, especially maybe on the road rather than home. But um, and and listen, you have to look at the age of of guys as well. And Carl and John, the, the extent that they had been on in their age right now, the system worked. It just it was just a matter of was it taking a toll on an age aged team? There's probably some of that there. I mean, you, you can't help but you know, but be a, be a little bit fatigued after a certain, certain time. But um, I think if we had had a full season, I think you would have seen, again, some of the best of the Jazz, maybe hitting a little slump here and there, but getting back into the groove. So Agreed. was fatigue a part of it? Probably some of, some of it was. Mm-hmm. So I was at game two of the series against Portland, and I remember Stockton makes a great move, has to go uh, on the opposite side and try to make a layup, put it up, not, uh, put it up softly, it kicked out, and, and you guys, uh, Portland comes away with a split, and then they won that series in six. Did it feel at all when that series ended that that very well may have been the last best chance for that Stockton, Malone, Salone, Hornacek group uh, to win a championship? Yeah. Yeah. Personally, I, I think it did. I think to some, I think that was earlier. And I think the two, the two runs that they had may have been the best chances that they would have. Um, one because of age, because of other teams changing, um, because, you know, the bulls wouldn't be the bulls anymore. So now maybe it's, you know, it's, it's the Jazz's turn, but team, teams were getting younger. The game was kind of turning a little bit, right? The three-point shot was just starting to kind of get more prevalent. Right. Um, systems were different, <laughs> and, and the rules were were changing in favor of the offense for the most part. So, you know, you weren't going to be allowed to do as much defensively historically like the Jazz have been known to be uh, to do. Uh, so. And super teams were starting to be formed. So, yeah, I, I think the writing was kind of on the wall. And not that the Jazz couldn't get there, but that, that group that you mentioned um, 
yeah, I, I think there was some semblance of the fact that um, the run was coming coming close to an end. What's the best way to describe playing for Jerry Sloan? Best way to describe playing for him is business. I mean, he was all business when it came to playing basketball and preparing for it. Um, he 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 coached like he played. I mean, I know we've heard that before, and it might be a cliche, but he he's one of the toughest son of a guns I've ever met, I've ever known. Um, when it comes to turning that switch on and going to work and instilling that and in, in that personality in your players, um, there's no, regardless of what your personality is going into it, you end up being a part of kind of a, reconstructing yourself to understand that this is how you need to be every single night to win consistently. Um, and it doesn't matter whether the team knows what you're running or not. They shouldn't be able to stop it. And so Jerry was just, uh, you know, as a coach, I, re- I remember him in his learning process, even though he had had some head coaching, um, but when Frank hired him and he took the reins, um, his first priority was to surround himself with people that could help him achieve those things. You know, people like Phil Johnson. Um, and and so uh, I, I watched that as we progressed as a team, made the playoffs every year since, you know, my rookie season when Frank was coaching for those first few years. But... Um, you just love to go to work. You know, you love to go to work under Jerry. And then off the court, he was such a fun man. Just, you know, just just to see him, it, it just felt like he was a player, right? I mean, he was your teammate. Um, but uh, there's just not another guy who has made me respect the game so much, especially at, at the NBA level than Jerry Sloan. What's your favorite memory of being around him all those years when you talk about, you know, he was such a fun man and great to be around and have a chance to know? Well, the trust. Uh, we trusted him. He trusted us. Um, I think the year I got traded, uh, it wasn't a norm for coaches to kind of pull you aside and invite you to dinner and have a beer, or, you know, have a bite to eat and just talk to you. Right, because there's there's players, and then there's like front office people, there's the execs, and so I'm in a lot of instances, coaches fall under that exact front office thing, and so there's not a ton of trust there with the coach. You hope that you can form that, but we had that with Jerry, and I remember in my in Miami, I went to dinner with Jerry, and he invited me to dinner, and he started talking to me about kind of what the team was thinking and, um, you know, that he didn't know how much longer he could protect me. And I wasn't playing that well. So he was basically giving me a pep talk to say, you know, I want you, I want you to every night go out and give me all you got. Uh, yeah. There's, there's some trade talk going on that Jazz are looking maybe to replace you. So I took that and I didn't, you know, I didn't, 
raise a fuss or anything or go to the papers. I mean, I, I took that as if, you know, here's a man who respects me that much to sit me down and, and, and tell me the truth and not lie to me and tell me what's going on so I can prepare myself for whatever happens. So in, mm-hmm. in that way, I just, you know, I, I, I've loved him for that and respected him. And even after I was done playing, I mean, he's the guy who encouraged me to get into the broadcast booth. When did he, when he did he tell guy. you that? He told me that we were over, um, we were over, we were working out somewhere. He had just gotten off the treadmill and I had just gotten off the bike and I knew that I, I, I wasn't going to try to go play anymore. And he just came over, we started talking and broadcasting kind of came up and he encouraged me. He said, I think, you know, you should go talk to Randy Rigby and I think he'd be really good. And so he is the guy who put that bug in my ear and really started the, um, the conversation about me broadcast. That's amazing. That would, was would you have ever thought about it? Uh, yeah, probably at some degree, to some degree, I probably would. I mean, that's what I studied in school. Okay. Um, but I, I didn't really, I mean, I had other things that I wanted to get into as well, other businesses. Um, but it wasn't until then that, uh, that I really seriously consider it, uh, because coming from him, you know, I mean, you always listen when Jerry talks. And so I, I took it to heart and I remember not too long after that talking to Randy Rigby and, and, uh, they gave me a shot. What have you enjoyed most about being a broadcaster with the jazz? I mean, I know it's rough working with a lemma, but outside of that, you know, <laughs> I mean, t- <laughs> take the good and the bad with everything. Right. I mean, yeah. And of course I yeah, love you know. a lemma. I love having fun with that yeah. guy. I'm going to have him on someday, but, but you, you in, in this role and this part of me, you do it well, the fans love you for your experience. What's, what's that been like? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with, the people you're around. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with some great, great people over the years. Um, you know, from Steve Brown to Alema to Pace Mannion to, you know, DJ, David James, Mark Eaton, Frank Layden. So it's, it's kind of, it was interesting because it was kind of like being a rookie again at first, you know, learning the ropes, learning the nuances, learning how to communicate with, the camera, which are the fans uh, and your partners that are sitting next to you. Um, so there was a learning curve there and I had some great people to help me along the way, just kind of get comfortable with it. Um, Craig Bowler Jack now is just, you know, a great mentor when you're talking about being a color analyst. Um, so yeah, I think that the, the funnest part has really been just being groomed and, 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 and taught by guys like Alema, who's a great, great traffic cop. And when Ron Boone and I are on the set, just having fun. It's like, it's like being on a team again in, in the locker room. So, um, and, and I like what I really liked about the jazz was that, you know, they tried to intertwine everything from radio, 
you know, doing stuff with you, um, you know, doing stuff with David Locke uh, and just connecting it all together. But yeah, I just loved it. I love the fact that it keeps me close to basketball and I, I get to work with some great people who, and talk about the game I love. Mm-hmm. And no one makes it look easier than Alema. I mean, he's, he's masterful at what he does and, uh, he and I have had the chance to work on a number of different broadcasts and shows, and man, it's a it's a blessing to have a chance to work with him. Uh, now that mm-hmm. now that you have a chance to analyze the games, uh, what player reminds you most of you besides LeBron? Because I, you know, we have to. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if you know. I've I've never really tried to look at a player and. I think there's some elements, obviously, and the fundamentals of the game, there's always elements that people pick up. But the game has changed so much now that, I mean, I posted up quite a bit. You talk about Mouse in the House. I was a small forward at 6'11 mm-hmm. and had six, and had 6'5", six, 6'6", six, 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 guys guarding me. So I want to take them down in the post, throw the hook on them, turn around jumper. Um, you know, if they're bigger and slower, I'll take them out and I'll shoot the mid-range uh, shot. So, yeah, I think there's some players that have those elements. I think back then it was really rare for a six eleven guy to to kind of be a, a small forward. Although there were some anomalies like the Mark Aguirre's and Adrian Dantley's who were, you know, coming out of their era of being solid in the paint. But the game has just moved further out now. So. um yeah, I mean, there's a lot of players that have pieces of what I did, but I don't know the last time I saw a player throw a hook, a sweep across the lane. Um, and his canner kind of has that kind of thing going. But um, right now, it's nowadays, it's about the three-point shot and or getting all the way to the hoop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, but it's still a great game. still great to watch guys like Steph Curry be an expert at what he does, LeBron James with his long, longevity. and and um, being unstoppable going to the basket. So, yeah, it's it's good to compare. It's good to kind of see the different changes in the game. But our era was good. I mean, we just talked about the last dance. That, that was a great era of basketball. Your son plays college basketball now. I know he's, he's back at home with you. My favorite thing was when broadcasting some of his games, seeing you so stoic, but I knew for a fact you had to have just nerves running through you at all, at all times, right? What has that been like working with him, coaching him, and then watching him uh, in in that realm? There's no words to describe it as a father. There's no words to describe being able to spend time with your sons or your your children. Because my my volleyball daughter, I spent didn't spend a lot of time training her because I didn't know the sport as well. But watched every game and got to as many games as possible. If I wasn't there, mom was there. So with my son, my college son, the one at Marquette, Brendan, um, just watching him develop, right? And and watching him get through AAU and high school, get to the next level like he wanted. And, and, and now seeing how hungry he is to want to get to the next level. Um, so this morning, for instance, um, in the last three mornings, he's gotten up at five o'clock and wakes me up. We get to the gym, we get a thousand shots up. Man. And so, you know, it 
it's good to see that drive in them. And then he has a younger brother who's 16 that, that gets that. He gets that from his older brother and his older sister, and he wants it as well. So as a father and as parents, you like to see that self-motivation. Um, who knows where it goes, where it will go, whether he'll play at the next level or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it works out that basketball is not, pro ball is, is not in his long future, all those things that have driven him to want that will, will help him in other areas. So I have no doubt that he'll be successful. I think he'll be able to play at the next level. I think, you know, he's, he's a six, eight kid who can shoot the basketball and get to the basket. He's got handles. So I think there's a need for that, whether it's in the NBA, whether it's overseas. Um, so I, I think he'll be able to make a living at it. Are you more nervous watching your kids than you ever oh, were yeah. as a player? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no question. <laughs> no question about it. I, I couldn't even sit down at my daughter's volleyball games or college <laughs> volleyball games. I had to get up and walk around. Um, and what a great sport, by the way. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I get nervous. I, you know, I'm not one of those dads that, you know, that shouts and screams and stuff. I mean, every now and then I might throw out, you know, a great job, a great shot or something like that. But, um, I really kind of sit there and try to analyze a few things and not overanalyze, but <laughs> um, look at what kind of groove and rhythm he's in and maybe give him some suggestions after the game on how to be better the next game. But um, yeah, it's just, it's so much fun. So much fun. <laughs> it's, yeah, just to sit back and, and just watch your kids perform. Yeah. Do you try to sit away? from as many people as you can, because you know they're going to have questions for you and want you to analyze for them, and, right? Like, do you have to try and find a specific spot to sit? Um, not in the, at the collegiate level, because most of the people who are sitting around are parents of the, some of the other kids. Mm-hmm. So you don't really have a lot of conversations. And then they get to know you after a few games that, you know, you're, you're not really a talker during the game. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, we sit where they have a sit, but there's not a lot of, uh, unless it's my wife and I talking to each other about something specific. Yeah, I'm I'm not really in the mood to have a conversation during the game. I'm kind of <laughs> like John Stockton when it comes to that. Oh, right? That'd be exactly yeah, just, the way he would be. <laughs> I'm focused on the game. Uh, lastly, Thurl, then I, I'm, I'm excited to hear about uh, some of the other stuff you have going on in Lehigh. Um the most bizarre moment maybe ever. My mom and I go to a Michigan football game. Uh, we show up there. They just happened to be playing BYU that day too. Uh, but that was the date that we could head out and go to a game. We go to a Michigan football game. We have great seats. We're like third row, 35-yard line. This team gets off to a great start. My mom, who absolutely loves Michigan football and at the exact same time hates BYU, is just ferociously cheering during this game. She is into every single play. She's absolutely into it and then lo and behold two rows right in front of us thorough bailey is sitting there because <laughs> brendan was on a recruiting trip at that time and so my mom goes from absolute intensity and you know dialing in on every single play and then she was just as happy as anybody could be to see you there what what do you remember about that game and hearing my mom scream nonstop throughout 60 <laughs> minutes of football <laughs> i remember how big a fan she was uh, it was exciting to see both of you there as well. And I also remember BYU getting blown out. It was a shutout, if, I, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Right. Uh, they went scoreless, and uh, Michigan was just 
game. But it was a great, great recruiting trip for my son, Brendan. We loved, absolutely loved Coach Beeline. And um, one of the reasons he chose not to go there because he didn't feel like Coach Beeline was going to be there um, for the duration, which he ended up not being. You know, he ended up leaving there and going, obviously, to, to the Cavaliers. But what a great man and a great visit. And, and your mom's crazy, man. She's crazy <laughs> for some football. I loved it. Uh, really enjoyed kind of watching and interacting with her. And, and that, that whole atmosphere was electric. Oh, that day was amazing. She still talks about it, too. She, uh, It was funny. I was walking down the stairs. We get her all set up. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, that's great. You know, you're meeting some fans before the game. And they thought, oh, that's great. You brought your mom to a game. And I was like, no, you you guys have no – it's about to get real Western around here. It's about to <laughs> <laughs> uh, At halftime, awesome. she was like, I want the shutout. Because I, I thought, all right, if Michigan can get a stop here at the start of the second half, I feel great. She's like, oh, no, no, we're going to win. I want the shutout, though. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. okay. And then as it got later, I thought, well, that shutout might happen. And she was like, no, I, I want him under 100 yards. I want him under 100. I mean, it was always about the wow. next thing down. <laughs> was, Mama's like, uh, step on their neck. <laughs> she's a competitor for sure. Well, Thurl, what I really love, uh, you have been so incredibly great with getting out coaching and teaching and, and training athletes. Uh, tell everybody about kind of what you're doing in the new location there in Lehigh. Well, I think I, I was I was born to do this. I mean, I have so much basketball knowledge, and I played for a long time, and and I've I had so many great people help develop me along the way. Um, and I, I got cut twice in junior high school, and that coach told me not to come back my last year. He left, got a new job, and a new coach came in, so I tried out for the team and. I wasn't very good, you know. That, that particular year, ninth grade, I was about six eight, six nine, and just could not play. And if I wasn't the worst guy at trials, I was next to him. So, but I made the team. Made the team. Coach called me into his office and basically told me, Tony, that he saw a lot of potential in me. He wanted to work with me. So that right there, um, pretty much instilled in me that. People have a different lens when they look at you. you all right? Some will decide that you don't have a chance. And some will say, man, I think you've got something, something that I, I want to help bring out in you. And so that inspired me, I think, along the way to, to teach and help as, as much as I could with with kids who wanted to learn how to play. Mm-hmm. You know, basketball, basketball being the vehicle. So I started a Big T Bailey basketball training about four years ago. Uh, partnership with Lifetime Fitness in South Jordan. And um, when COVID-19 hit, obviously, a lot of that changed, and we're slowly getting back into it. But a lot of these kids are, are wanting to get back into the gym, you know, whether they're eight years old or whether they're, they want to make their high school teams. Um, I just opened another location, just partnered with the Carmelone Center in Lehigh, Utah. Great facility out there where we're starting to get kids uh, back in the gym, some one-on-one individual training. Um, and it's been really good. It's been really good to see these kids have the hunger to get back into the gym, uh, get get back to their training because their coaches really can't do anything with them right now with school being out and there being no sports. So, um, you know, we've, we're taking all the precautions we need to based on what's going on in, in, in our state. Um, relative to COVID-19. So mm-hmm. 
I'm there. I'm training. I've got some other coaches. Uh, Brian Ware, who's one of my big coaches, played collegiate basketball, and and so we we're getting these kids in now to to train. They can they can go on BigTBaileyBasketball dot com and see what we offer. And and um, yeah, we're 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 back at it, my man. So if you want to come in, get some lessons for that next celebrity game. Come on in, baby. I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna. I'm gonna learn how to shoot over the oar, as they say. Uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So go to bigtbaileybasketball.com. Uh, check him out also with Thurl Talk and his podcast. Uh, what's the What's the next thing coming up on the podcast? You know, I'm not sure yet because I'm, I'm I'm trying to get away from uh, not get away from sports, but I want a variety of folks that 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 have some great stories. So. Um, I'm looking to get Andy Andrews, the great author, best-selling author, Andy Andrews, talk about uh, some of his writings, the little things. I'm working on right now getting my idol to come on the show, Dr. J, Julius Irving. Oh, man. That was your guy growing up, that worked right? out. That was my guy. He got me into oh. it. So, oh, that'd be great. That'd be so fantastic. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Well, I definitely will stay tuned. And Thurl, thank you so much uh, uh, for a bit of your time today. And uh, as always, if I can ever be of help to you, you let me know. Um, and until then, man, in, enjoy those 5 a.m. wake-up calls. Make sure to tell Hyde, uh, say, uh, <laughs> say hello to Brendan for me, and, and uh, we'll look forward to see what's coming up next. All right, Pete. I appreciate you, man.